0: As you're finding your seats, you can open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, Um, if you don't have a Bible, there should be a black hardbound one somewhere near you on the floor. And this morning's passage can be found on page 812, also will be on the screen. And I think we all probably in this room to some degree or another have like small guilty pleasures that we enjoy in life. So when Jen and I were uh, first married, I think it was the second house that we owned, but I think we'd only been married a couple years, we lived uh, downstream of a Taco Bell, and so what we would do, um, we would never do this now, but back then that was like, that was a big deal for us. Uh, We put the kids down as fast as possible, and we'd run to almost, it really was literally at the end of our neighborhood, and we would go to Taco Bell, and we would eat nachos bel grande um, in bed, and I was like, Oh, to be in my early 20s again, where you could do that and have no consequences. But that was beautiful. We love to do that. That's evolved a little bit now to where, um, you know, instead of a run to Taco Bell, it's probably a run to Andy's. And so uh, I've seen a few of you there, so I know that's something that other people do uh, late at night as well. Um, But for you, it it may be like a favorite show uh, that you watch way too much of way too quickly Um, It could be like a a certain snack that you hide from um, your roommates or your family that's kind of way back in the pantry. Um, Yeah, I've been there. I've done all that, you know, so I I get it. Um, But we all have these uh, small guilty pleasures that we live with, that we enjoy, and uh, one that we enjoy as an entire family, um, and it's really a seasonal thing, is uh, we like Hallmark Christmas movies, so, right? Ooh. Alright, so it's interesting. Um, but we don't like them for the, for the reason that you think we like them. Um, we love all things Christmas. But um, at least myself, along with all five of my children, we like these movies because they're so predictable. And um, it's our goal to figure out the plot at least before the first commercial break um, and then have the joy of watching that unfold. So if you've never seen a Hallmark Christmas movie, I'm going to ruin them all for you right now. I mean, it's essentially... Right, Um, A person that thinks they found their soulmate only to encounter some kind of loss to figure out that that really wasn't their soulmate. Um, And then when they're least expecting it, they find true love. You know, I mean, that's every Hallmark. And you throw in some Santa Claus and some stockings and there you have a Hallmark Christmas movie. So um, if any of you are looking for a better job, I mean, you can uh, apply at hallmark.com. And it's one thing, you know, um, to live in that kind of predictability when it comes to a Hallmark movie, right? I mean, we kind of expect that, right? That's predictable. But honestly, for most of us, when you think about your own story, um, you kind of view it like a Hallmark movie, that things are the way that they are, they're the way that they're always going to be, and if we're honest, even though this is a room full of people that are in a church building, we believe that prayer makes very little difference, right? Um, We may ascribe to a theology of prayer, but our actual functional belief in prayer is very low. Dallas Willard says this, and I think this is helpful, and, and really the goal of today is Um, not to thoroughly train us on every way to pray, but to honestly ask God to build into us a, a faith and a kind of expectancy when it comes to prayer. Dallas Willard says this, God's response to our prayers is not a charade. He does not pretend that He is answering prayer when he's only doing what he was going to do anyway. Our requests really do make a difference in what God does or does not do. The idea that everything would happen exactly as it does, regardless of whether we pray or not, is a specter that haunts the minds of many who sincerely profess belief in God. It makes prayer psychologically impossible, replacing it with dead ritual at best. And I think that's what prayer is like for most of us. It can be empty, it can be hollow, it can be dead, because we don't think it actually does anything. And so, if we think that our life is just this scripted event and God's going to do whatever He does, regardless of whether we pray, it turns us into Robots, or it turns us into people that are actually just functionally playing out the stream. It does not bode well for the arena of faith or expectancy, which is to characterize the people of God. Because we have a God that created everything, and He spoke it into being, and He sent His Son into the world, and He defeated sin and death and hell and the grave. Um, That kind of God actually intervenes in time and space. And that kind of access and that kind of power is ours as the people of God and so this is an invitation for us to um, believe God at his word that prayer actually makes a difference Um, and for us as a church I I honestly believe that God um, wants to answer some prayers for us as a church today and so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 7 we're going to begin reading in verse 7 so if you have your Bibles open and you're able would you stand with me as we read Matthew 7, 7-12. This is Jesus speaking. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, I pray that right now, That you would break us out of discouragement. That you would break us out of the predictability that we think our life and our story has. I pray that you would open our eyes to see Jesus in the midst of this. Giving us an avenue through prayer um, that makes a difference um, in our lives, in our stories, in our world. I pray that you would break us out of a a spiritual poverty and a spiritual apathy that doesn't pray. Father, I pray boldly that you would help us to pray in accordance with your will and that we would pray and that we would ask and that we would seek and that we would knock and that we would not experience um, having not because we ask not. So we are going to err on the side this morning of asking you to do what only you can do, because you are the God that raises the dead. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So when we pray, this is the, the message of Matthew chapter 7, when we pray, God acts. There is, uh, there is a responsiveness and an attentiveness from God to our prayers. There is a connection between our asking and our receiving. There is um, a connection between knocking and seeing the door open. There is a connection between seeking and finding. God loves to answer the prayers of His people. Now, Matthew chapter 7 is in the, the, really towards the end of Jesus's most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And this is Jesus breaking on the scene announcing that the kingdom of God has broken in in his coming. This was Jesus coming in announcing that there's a new kingdom and the rightful king has taken his place and that's him and that everywhere that he went he demonstrated the effects of that kingdom. So it says that he went to all of the towns and all of the villages and he healed every affliction and he healed every disease. Now That's not something that we see each and every day, but if you listen to my friend Perrin on that video, it is something that is alive and well around the world, and I don't think it has anything to do with geography. I think it has everything to do with expectancy on the people of God, right? They believe, they need, they ask, they receive. We do not ask, we do not receive. There is a real connection. I do not want to put the emphasis on our failure, but I want to put the emphasis on the activity of God that comes to rest on people that seek Him. That those that seek Him will indeed find Him. So God breaks in in the person of Jesus. Jesus announces this kingdom. And this kingdom is a kingdom of compassion. This is a kingdom of love. Everywhere that Jesus goes, he never overlooks the needs of people. He's always drawn to the needs of people. And so that means a couple of things for us as the people of God very practically. It means that God cares about you and what ails you right now. The things that concern you, your needs. He's attentive to those. But it also means that because... The Spirit of God, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, lives inside of you. He wants to open your eyes to see the needs of other people, right? Because we're not meant to just live with this kind of holy navel-gazing where we're only concerned about ourselves and our needs and our concerns, but we're actually supposed to have the Spirit of Jesus that moves us into the life of other people. And so prayer is the avenue by which we can access that. Now, listen... We believe in the sovereignty of God above all things. We believe that He is absolutely in control 100% of the world. But any form of belief in the sovereignty of God that leads to passivity or a form of fatalism, right, is not from God right? Sovereignty everywhere that is expressed in the Bible leads people to pray. God, you are in control, so I'm going to seek you, right? So I want to give you an example. Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4. Um, it's, it's right after Pentecost. Peter and John, they encounter a, a lame man that's at the gate called Beautiful. He asked them for a gift, and they said, I don't have any money to give you, but at what I do have is the name and the power of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. They lay hands on him. He's healed. He begins to leap, and he begins to praise God. And there's such a commotion that, um, honestly, there's almost a riot that breaks out in in Jerusalem, in the courtyards. So Peter and John are, are kind of almost arrested and brought before the council where they're forbidden to speak in the name of Jesus. So this is really the first form of persecution In the early church. And they said, hey, I just want you not to speak in the name of Jesus. And they said politely, "Um, no. (laughs) Uh, Are we going to obey men or are we going to obey God, right? And so they're like, hey, we're going to keep on speaking this name. And and then what I love about this, and this is what I've encountered... um, In the U.S., like when persecution comes, we we think, oh man, we need to pull back. But in the rest of the world, they're like, hey, this is where the activity is. This is where God's at work. So it should be on the screen for you. I want you to listen how they process the sovereignty of God in the midst of their persecution. Acts 4.24 says this. This is, and when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth. So hear the sovereignty language. And then skip down to verse 29 and 30. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So they didn't have a form of sovereignty that led them to fatalism. They had a form of sovereignty that led them to pray. So if we're going to be a, poli- a people that actually believe in the functional sovereignty of God, we're going to be a people of prayer, right? So that makes us want to ask and to seek and to knock. And our confidence is that in, in the midst of all of this, is not just that we have a sovereign God, but in Matthew chapter 7, this sovereign God is also our Father. So it says, you, you can ask for bread and you're not going to get a stone. You can ask for fish and you're not going to get a serpent unless you're in West Virginia. Right? I mean, like this God actually knows what you need before you ask. Right? That God himself is attentive to our prayer. Um, but, but the emphasis on, you, you can't really see it particularly in this text, but this is a, a present continuous ongoing action right it's the emphasis is on ask and keep on asking to knock and keep on knocking right to seek and keep on seeking and to know that God hears your prayers and he knows your prayers and he wants to answer your prayers with exactly what you need now God is not reluctant to answer our prayers now it's actually a pretty encouraging season for me Um, In the midst of prayer, this has not always been the case, but I've seen God this week in particular answer prayers that I have prayed for years, right, that I have asked God. And this has been the effect of continually asking God for certain things. It's not that I think God is reluctant, but what it does is, is it does something in my heart that the more that I pray about something, the more that I think about something, it opens my eyes to see really the way that God has made things to work and to operate. And so it, it, it changes my desires. And so I just would encourage you that no matter where you are this morning, if there are things that you have been asking God for, I mean, whether it's Financial provision that you actually really need God to come through with, or if it's um, a relational dysfunction that you're going through in a friendship or in a marriage, that God actually wants to answer that prayer. But I would encourage you not to give up. I mean, if you have wayward children here this morning, don't stop asking, don't stop seeking, don't stop knocking. God invites us to continually pray. To him, this is probably my favorite way of describing prayer, and it comes from Tim Keller's book on prayer. He says, Through the Spirit, prayer is faith become audible. So when we pray, our faith grows. There's a strengthening that happens because we're expressing not just our need, but prayer itself is a confidence that there's a God that hears and that there's a God who answers. So we want to pray to Him. Faith become audible. Now, prayer is also about, I mean, the, the illustration that Jesus uses is that we are children in this passage. So this means that we actually, in prayer, become who we are, right? Kids are um, not, I mean, they love to play hide and seek and those kinds of things, but they don't pretend to be something else. I love when my kids bring bold requests before me. I mean, just this week, I had my 11-year-old son. um, The SEC tournament is next week in St. Louis. And he's like, Dad, can we, can we go to the SEC tournament next week? Which I would love to go. And, uh, I mean, it's just a scheduling thing. We wouldn't be able to do that. But I love that he just has the, and it's not because he's selfish. It's just because he believes that, yeah, my dad can take me to this tournament. It's awesome, and we'll have a great time, right? I'm honored by the asking. So prayer is where we become our authentic selves, right? And I think this is hard, right? You're not try, supposed to try to be someone else in prayer. Prayer is where we become the the person that God has created us to be, where there's no pretense, where there's authenticity and realness. When I first started to preach, um, probably my first, who knows how many awful sermons, uh, I wanted to be John Piper. So any John Piper fans out there? Right? All right, great. Yeah, so me too. Um, And this was before podcasts, so thankfully um, I hadn't heard every John Piper sermon, but I had one that I wore out on cassette tape that I borrowed from a friend. Um, and and I, I mean, just unconsciously, I mean, I imitated the, his cadence and the way that he talked all the way down to the air chops. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I wanted to be John Piper. And I don't remember, it was probably a series of conversations with people, and they, they helped me to, to know, that, you know that God had made me um, unique and that I had a unique voice, and a unique contribution to make in preaching, and just to try to be myself, and not to try to be someone else, and um, I think the same is true for prayer, right? I mean, you can pray the way that you think you're supposed to pray. Um, I remember being a a really small child, probably six, seven, eight years old, and I was in a really traditional setting, and um, all the people prayed in the king's English. Have you ever heard that? You know, Thou hast made us everything and thine hand, you know, that thing. Uh, and I wanted to kind of imitate that, you know. So I instinctively listen to the voice of other people. Now, you can learn things from other people praying, and I, I think that's helpful. But really, the, the, the kind of prayer that God invites us into is this close, intimate, authentic kind of prayer where you're the person that God's created you to be, where you are His child, where you don't have to worry about did I get the words right or did I say it right or did I pray long enough? And honestly, I think that's why there's such a disconnect in prayer for most of us because we pray about the things that we think we're supposed to pray about instead of praying about the things that really are on our heart and the things that really matter, right? Right. So, I mean, I've heard so many people, I mean, I over here, I want to pray for the missionaries like around the world and, and that's a great impulse, but I mean, there's also this idea that you need to bring your authentic self and what you're going through to God. And that's a little bit of what we're trying to get at in this Pathways series, is that you can find your own voice. You don't have to be like anybody else. This is not a a test where you're trying to be like someone else. Psalm 42 says that our souls are made to be poured out to God, right? And when we do not pour out our authentic selves, and our authentic souls to God, there's a couple things that can happen. We can either start to fake it, right? Or, like, we get so bottled up inside of us that we begin to really carry around all of those cares and concerns and anxieties that cling so close. We're supposed to constantly pour out our hearts and our lives before God. So, John Mark Comer, in his book, God Has a Name, says this. Prayer is what Moses did with God in the tent. It's what Jesus did with the Father in Gethsemane. It's brutally honest, naked and vulnerable. It's when your deepest desires and fears and hopes and dreams leak out of your mouth with no inhibition. It's when you talk to God with the edit button in the off position and you feel safe and heard and loved. It's the kind of relational exchange you simply cannot get enough of. Right? That's what we're Shooting for. We're not trying to make you into this, you know, this person that prays a certain way. We just want you to be able to bring your needs and your desires before the Father that loves you. So I want to just spend a little bit of time. How do we begin to pray for ourselves? We're going to talk about praying for ourselves, praying for other people, and praying for the kingdom. And then we're going to end in a time of prayer for one another. The first thing, first diagnostic question that we really need to get in touch with when we try to really pray this form of intercessory prayer is who is God, right? Jesus teaches his disciples to pray in Matthew chapter 6. He says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. That prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray doesn't begin with us. It begins with who God is. So God is... um, He's the one that you need. He is our refuge. He is our strength. He is our healer. He is our provider. He is our deliverer. He is our justifier, if you feel guilty. He is all of the things that we need from him. So we need to, in, in the moments when we feel like our souls need to be poured out, we need to ask ourselves in that question, who is God for me right now in this moment? Right. Um, there's a way of praying um, And if we just begin with us, um, we'll probably end on us and we can get stuck in this vortex of just always thinking about our needs. But God wants to set us free to be able to look at him because that's where all of the hope is. That there's a God that's entered into our story through Jesus and that he loves us and that he is committed to us. So first, who is Jesus? Uh, And the second one I learned from a, a book called The Voice of the Heart and I think it's very helpful The second one is, Where are you? So, in the Garden of Eden, after Adam falls and sins, he's hiding naked in the bushes, scared and alone, and God reaches out to him to reestablish connection, and he says, Where are you? It's not because God didn't know where he was, he saw him over in the bushes, kind of scared and afraid. Adam did not know where Adam was. And oftentimes, when we enter into prayer, we do not know where we are. So this is a question you can imagine God asking you, where are you? Are you afraid? Are you guilty? Are you joyful and thankful? All of those things, I think God wants you to be able to lock authentically locate yourself so that you can connect with him. He's always reaching out for connection. The, the third diagnostic question, we used this a few weeks ago, and one of the exercises is, what do you want? Right. So the story of blind Bartimaeus on the road where Jesus comes by, and he hears that Jesus is coming by, and he says, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops in the midst of what he's doing. He looks at Bartimaeus, who can't see him at this point, and he says, what do you want? And he says, I want to recover my sight. That's a question that God asks us every time that we come before him. And it helps us to pour out our souls. What do you want? God actually wants to hear your cares and concerns. He wants us to be able to pour out our souls to him. Next, how do we take that kind of prayer where we're pouring out our souls and how do we make that accessible and beneficial to other people? We're going to have some exercises this week that help us learn how to begin to pray and lift up other people. Praying for others um, is simply the greatest act of love and service that you can do for someone. Um, It helps us identify in our common humanity. If you pray for someone authentically, you're going to grow in compassion for them. right? It it, it helps you automatically walk a mile in their shoes. So if there's someone that actually you're struggling to um, identify with, I would encourage you just to to pray. um, Pour out your heart. It'll give you empathy. It, It helps us to consider other people's interests more significant than our own. Philippians 2 And it is a very real function of what Galatians 6-2 should be on the screen for you. That we bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So when we pray for other people, we're bearing up one another's burdens. And there's not a person in this room that is meant to carry their burdens alone. And it fulfills the law of Christ. So this is a way that we can come together. And this is a way that we can show um, courage and commitment to one another. And it's one thing for you to say to someone, hey, I prayed for you. And that is meaningful. But I want to I share something that I think would transform our relationships as a local church. Not only praying for one another, but said, I prayed this for you. I prayed this scripture for you. This is what I brought before our Father for you. And and, and in that, what you're going to find out is that that kind of relational connection means someone says, I know you. I see you. I care about you. Imagine with me for just a minute that, that every person in this room received that kind of care this week. Like, what kind of room would this be next week? Now, imagine that kind of effect multiplies throughout our city where everyone knows that there's somebody that's carrying me on their heart and they're praying for me and they're bringing me before the needs of the Father. So praying for one another is a way of caring for one another and um, bearing one another's burdens. And this is my prayer, Colossians 4.12. This is a great model of prayer. Epaphras. Epaphras who is one of you A servant of Christ Jesus greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. I'm so grateful um, for those that have this gift of intercession that struggle on our behalf in their prayers. Um, If you have the gift of intercessory prayer and you know that, please come to me because we need people that lift up the needs of this church. We need people that lift up the mission of this church. I personally need your prayers as um, just one that's called to lead and teach, you know, from time to time up here. I need your prayers. Um, So there's two ways that we typically, I think, prayer for other people becomes fruitful. One is I mean, you just, you hear of a need, you know, it, it comes through on your phone, a text or uh, alert or something, and you just immediately bring that prayer. I mean, it could be a breath prayer where you're just like, God, help, be a present help for them in this time of need. Um, and there, there may be other times where you're reading Scripture, and um, this happened a few times this week, and my wife and I were praying for somebody in particular, and we both had similar thoughts and impressions for that person, so we sent them to them. And, and you're reading scripture for your own self, and then God brings someone else to mind. So you just pray that. But um, where it becomes powerful is like, hey, we prayed this for you, and I believe God wants to encourage you with that. And we saw some real encouraging fruit from that. Um, but then there's going to be other times where somebody's just going to come to mind. You know, just, like, it's going to be random. You're like, why in the world am I thinking about this person right now? And, and I, almost always that's an invitation to pray. Romans eight twenty six and 27 says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So when we don't know how to pray... When we can't speak, the Spirit speaks on our behalf. But we want to pay attention because the Spirit's going to lead us to pray and to lift up people towards Him. Um, so pray for one another and, and let people know exactly what you are praying for them. Uh, finally, Matthew chapter 7 is about the inbreaking of the kingdom. So how would we begin to pray, not just for our needs, not just for the needs of those in our community, but pray for the needs of this world. Uh, A few chapters later, Matthew chapter 9, this is one of my favorite scriptures, Matthew chapter 9 verse 35, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd and that is our city then he said to his disciples the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few therefore pray earnestly to the lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest so jesus outlines a a pattern of ministry here the the harvest is there um there's just not enough people that are engaging in the work, and so he says, "I want you to pray for laborers to go into the harvest." So that's a, when I, when I start to think about the needs of the world, I, I think about open hearts and open doors, and God providing resources. And so I think implied in Matthew chapter nine is not just praying for laborers, but praying. Um, I can't read that scripture without saying, "God, would you make me a laborer?" You know, God, please, please do this for me. Not not just let me pray for. Um, our city, but would you help me to join with the Lord of the Harvest in what he's doing um, in every aspect of my life? And that's what I love, honestly, about uh, those of you that are with us from Campus Outreach. Um, That's what they say, man, help us raise up laborers for the kingdom. They're, They're able to see that there's a harvest on the campus that God's already prepared in advance and they just need more laborers, right? So that's no difference. I think that can provoke us as a local church. Um, The harvest is fine. We just need more laborers and there's numerous ways that we can get involved um, with the harvest um, in seeing God go forward. Um, God has good works prepared for us in advance. And so I just want in just a minute we're going to pray. But as we pray for just this outward idea of mission. Um, only God can change people's hearts, but he delights to save. Um, it says that he desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So I want to pray, um, maybe for people that have been on your heart for a long time today. I want to pray for uh, the upcoming trip to Haiti. Um, we want to pray, just like we mentioned this morning, for Nepal, in India and what God is doing in Asia, that there will continue to be open doors. Uh, and, and honestly, what we need is a long-term sustainable plan to help us to plant churches both locally and globally. And so to do that, we need God to speak and to, to bring more gifts to bear on that. But I want us this morning to heed the invitation of God to ask and keep on asking, knock and keep on knocking. So if I'm going to invite um, Aaron, you and the band can go ahead and join me. And so here's what we're going to do. They're going to play a song, and you can worship. But what I'd like to do, if you are are a leader of a gospel community or you help to lead a gospel community, I want you to come up front. And we just want to pray for people that want prayer. These are some general categories. Asking for prayer um, is not a sign of weakness, but it's a sign of strength. And so... If there's, if you are experiencing sickness in your body, um, James 5 says that you can come and that you can pray, and we're going to pray. If you need strengthening, just in this area of prayer, you're like, hey, I I know that prayer is not a strength of mine, but I want to grow in prayer. Would you pray for me? We'll ask, and we'll seek, and we'll knock together. Um, if, If there's, If you want to come and you want to stand in for your campus or you want to stand in for your workplace and say, we want to see more laborers raised up, you can come down. We can pray for you for that. Um, If you want to come and stand in for Haiti or Nepal, um, I'd love for all of us to join in praying for our upcoming Alpha class that's going to start in just a few weeks where we have an opportunity to proclaim the gospel as a church, that God would bring people that are far from him and that they, they would be saved. Um, so we're going to pray for all those things. If there's um, yeah, just a need that, that you've been praying for for a long time, uh, please come down. We just believe that God is present here this morning to answer prayers. So we're going to ask. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite um, all the leaders of gospel communities uh, to come up and helpers and all that, and we're just going to pray for people and sing. All right, Father, thank you for Jesus. I pray that right now there would be a sense of faith and expectancy inside of our church um, that was previously not here. We simply do not possess the gift of faith um, to seek you the way that, um, honestly, you have portrayed yourself in Scripture. So I ask that through the power of the Spirit that you would give out right now the gift of faith. If there are people um, that need prayer and that would like prayer, I pray that there would be no hindrance to them coming. And I pray that there would be um, real power that would be displayed um, as you answer our prayers. Um, Father, be with us, lead us, guide us, um, and give us faith as we seek you. In Jesus' name, amen.